Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Derek Roostein from Network Under 40. And if you want to learn how to build extraordinary relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my buddy, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another interview here on Build Your Network. Today, I am talking with a fellow networker. Look, everybody bringing the show is a fellow networker in some way, but this person I'm about to bring on, she is a beast when it comes to networking, connecting with people and doing it the right way. So we have a lot of fun here on today's episode. Um, a lot of things in common, in, especially in terms of the way that we think about how to build relationships the right way. So for the past 10 years, she's founded and scaled two businesses in tandem, a networking events company serving over 30,000 people and a payment processing company spanning 38 states, a prolific writer and interviewer, Dara Burstein's thought leadership articles on lifestyle design have been read by over 1 million people across Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Thrive Global. Her motivating motto, build a life of your own design, a career to fund it, and a network to support it has inspired thousands to reach higher and dream bigger. She was even named number one to follow by Boss Babe magazine. So Dara and I get into a lot of amazing connection and networking strategies here in this episode, but a couple of things specifically that we talk about. Number one, what her 
first job taught her about business and what she took away from that, what she learned from that. We talk about the number one way that she grew her primary business, which may surprise you. And then we talk about how you can amplify your message through starting meetup groups, which is essentially what her networking company started at. And now it's turned into 30,000 plus people and uh, that she's that has have come into her meetings. It's just national. It's all over. So she has she's really mastered this part of it. And it's fed into a lot of her, her main primary business as well. So I can't wait to get into this conversation with you all. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure business owner listening right now, and you want to know how I create and maintain relationships with the people that I've had on my show, you want to become an authority in your niche, or you want your dream clients or customers to chase you instead of you chasing them, you want to amplify your message to the masses, then I challenge you to start a podcast in 2020. My only regret my podcast journey was waiting. I just waited too long. I knew I wanted to launch a show in October of 16, but I didn't launch until August of 17, almost 12 months that I could have been uh, saving time. I could have been saving money. I could have been working on my skill set, but I didn't do any of that because I was procrastinating. So stop waiting and just get started. But if you're going to do that, get started the right way, or you're just going to waste more time and more money. And that's where I come in. I help high-level entrepreneurs just like you create launch, grow, and monetize successful podcasts. So if you are a six or seven figure business owner and you want to see if we'd be a good fit to work together to get your show out into the world, then head on over to travischapel.com slash apply. That's travischapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash apply to book a discovery call and we will chat really soon. And now enjoy my conversation with Dara Burstein. Dara, how is it going? Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Travis. It's really wonderful to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So we connected a little while ago. Um, I forget how we even got in contact, but... His... The connector himself, Michael Roderick. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, got it. Perfect. So uh, as soon as I saw your bio and saw some of the things that you were up to, I was like, wow, I definitely... You know, I don't. I didn't even know how this girl has not been on my radar before. Um, Michael made the introduction, so ever since then, I knew that we had to have a conversation on the show. So I'm happy that we're actually finally being able to make this happen. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. Okay, so before we jump into some real tactical and practical networking connection strategies, since I know that's what you're really big on, let's kind of go back in time and uh, talk about 12, 13, 14 year old Dara, because. I always find it super interesting where people end up, especially when it is a unique path, because I doubt when you were in high school that you had a conversation with your career counselor and they were like, oh yeah, you should uh, join, you know, start this crazy meetup group that joins all over the nation. And like, I doubt that was the conversation that happened. So let's take it back there. Talk to me about likes, dislikes, interests. Were you good at school, like sports? Like what was life like for middle school, Dara? Well, middle school, Dara went to a different school than her brothers. (laughs) She... Is it, I'm a twin and ultimately oh, really? fast forwarding, I have started a business with my twin brother, but back then we went to two different schools and my older brother was in boarding school. So we're all three in very different places. Is there a purpose for that? Yeah. So my older brother just really did better off at boarding school. So he went off and did his thing. Whereas my twin went to the school I was supposed to go to. And I decided to ask my parents to send me to a magnet program for performing arts because I was basically looking for interest. My parents told me that I needed to find something that I liked. So I went there to study all sorts of arts. And around that time was also spending eight weeks every summer at a sleepaway camp in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And there I fell in love with black and white film photography. And that sort of set me on this trajectory of thinking I was going to be a photographer professionally as an adult. And back then I was getting into things that on the one hand were not very good. I was getting into a lot of trouble and not hanging with the right people. 
And on the other hand, once I switched schools in eighth grade, so probably then about what the 14 year old me, I got into cheerleading and student government and always was a straight A student, regardless of the people I was hanging out with. So always was a doer and an achiever, but definitely was a chameleon back then to the circle that I was in. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like you were able to kind of fit in wherever you were, but still kind of be yourself a little bit. Like you obviously, like if your grades weren't affected, it didn't mean that when you're hanging out with the cool kids, you'd stop focusing on that. It just seems like you were on a search, possibly. Totally. I was always seeking as a younger person and Mm. that sort of inter twines into some of the like spiritual part of a component of one of my companies now that there's always been this desire to understand what really makes things tick and what really is happening on like a universal or energetic level or any way that you describe it. But yeah, you're totally right that I was never afraid to remain my authentic self, even though I was definitely influenced deeply by the circles that I was in and continued to seek out where those were, which actually translates and parlays really deeply into what you and I care about now and the people that you surround yourself with in your community and that Jim Rohn was absolutely right, that you are the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. And in middle school for me in sixth and seventh grade at this magnet school where I was getting into things that were not super savory back then, it was exactly that, that I was the average of all those people who were getting in fights after school and smoking cigarettes behind the whatever cafeteria and had to make some shifts. And when I started shifting my environment and the people that I spent time with, my life started to shift. And as an adult, that's something that I take to heart tremendously. Was it you as a 12, 13-year-old that made the conscious decision to say, I need to make some shifts? Or was it parents and authority saying, you got to make some shifts? Yeah, it was my parents. So I was off at that summer camp that I mentioned, learning photography and doing other art programs. And I came home to start my eighth grade year And I was really excited because like anytime you're at the upper echelon of any environment, for me, it was like fifth grade, eighth grade, 12th grade, there are things that you look forward to. And so I came home looking forward to hearing about this program that I applied to be in within that magnet school. And that's a week before school starts. I'm thinking, where is this letter? And my parents said, oh, actually, we transferred you to the school that your brother goes to. They sort of had this realization, they were like, the way that you are acting, the way that you are talking, the Mm -hmm. behaviors that you are embodying, we're not here for it, and we're changing your environment. And obviously, as a precocious 13-year-old, I was not happy. However, (laughs) that's what parents are for. They're here to see the pitfalls that you can't see ahead, and now I'm really grateful for it. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is 
the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back into that school, you end up, to me, it seems like two opposite crowds, right? Like the crowd that gets in fights and smokes cigarettes behind the lockers or whatever. That to me seems like a different crowd than the ones that you started hanging out with when you went back to the other school, right? Was that, was that purposeful at all? Or were you just like, again, just continually searching for something? Well, so the kids that I met back in eighth grade were the kids that I met when I moved to Baltimore from Philadelphia in fifth grade. And so I knew them for a year. And I knew because as a twin, they're hanging out at my house with my brother a lot of the time. His guy friends were always there. And so I already had a bit of a social circle to adapt into, but then continued to make new friends. I've always been a collector of people and a convener of people. And so back then, even though I had this foundation of friendships, I also went out and built new ones with people I hadn't met yet some of whom were back in that party scene and doing other things, but many of them were sort of this balance that I was of really high performing in school, but also still pushing the boundaries. Got it. So coming into high school, you keep straight A's the whole time? Yeah. I mean, I probably got a B once or twice, but was pretty close to a 4.0. <laughs> was that natural for you or were you invested in getting good grades for post high school reasons? Like what, what was the reason behind that? It was definitely the acculturation I had in my house that my dad was definitely the type that performance mattered and checking boxes mattered, which is unironic in the sense that now I work really hard to help people understand that you have to define success for yourself and it shouldn't just be checking the boxes and getting the accolades and the titles. But at that age, like many children, I wanted the approval of my parents. And my dad always said, you know, an A isn't good enough. It has to be an A plus if it's if you're doing something and you're not the captain or the president, then you should try harder. And, you know, I smile about it now, but back then it felt like an immense amount of weight on my shoulders. And I did it because I was capable of doing it and it felt good to achieve those things, but it definitely wasn't coming from an intrinsic place exclusively. Mm-hmm. It definitely came from this feeding of this is what love looks like. This is what you get praise for. This is how you get acceptance and approval. And it took me a long time to unlearn some of those lessons that you can get those things and you can strive and achieve. However, it has to come from a place of knowing your own value and worth outside of that. And back then, I didn't know that. Would you do it differently in terms of parenting your own kids or, or recommending to other parents out there? Because this is something that's, that I find super interesting, especially now that I have a, four, a five-month-old son now, like looking at things like that. And because I understand how important some of those things are to push kids because you have to motivate them differently than you motivate an adult, right? And parent parental approval is definitely something that motivates, I think, a lot of kids. So I'm curious to know what you would do in this situation if it were reversed. And if you even find it important to have that type of motivation for a young teenager. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not a parent and I don't want to pretend that I know exactly how I'm going to raise a child or children. Mm-hmm. However, my intention would be to find a happy medium. Like I'm a big believer in integration of things and that 
there's dichotomies and polarities and to find a medium between them can be really great that it would be wonderful to ask my children to perform at their best in school. Does that have to be the top 1%? No. But if that is what they're capable of, then wonderful. Hmm. But then how do we also round that out and let them know that it's okay to not be good at stuff and it's okay to fail? Because I think what comes on the other side often, or at least it did for me back then of, when you tell people that you have to be the best at everything is then it really disincentivizes you from trying something new that you might not be good at mm. because you don't have any room for margin or error. And now in the entrepreneurial vernacular, there's so much conversation around failing fast and failing forward and how failing is so wonderful. But if we're not raising children in school or as parents to know that that's true, because here's the thing, there's a difference between failing because you're not trying and you're just being lazy and you're not applying yourself. Mm. And there's failing because you did try and it just wasn't something you were good at and you learned something from that. So I would hope to be able as a parent to engender and ingrain that kind of ethos as opposed to just, you have to be the best, therefore only do things that you have a natural inclination for. I like this conversation because I find that a lot of entrepreneurial type people are, I feel like they're providing excuses for teenagers to get bad grades and things like that in school. Like there's almost this culture of like, if you get good grades, you are not going to be a successful entrepreneur. And if you get bad grades, then you're probably going to be successful entrepreneur. And it's just like, I understand the place Place where they're coming from because obviously if they got bad grades and they hated it and they did their best and they showed up and, and got berated and you know hated turning in their report cards and things, there's obviously a lot of psychological damage that happened there when they were younger that's carrying into adult years and understandably so. But I think that there's almost a little bit of danger around that because you're encouraging kids to not care about things and almost not have the discipline to excel in the area or phase of life that you are currently living. And I find that there's almost a little bit of trouble behind like all of that type of culture. Are you finding anything similar? Well, I agree that on any extremism type of perspective that there's a danger in that. And that when you teach kids that any one way is the way, that that's potentially detrimental to them as well, that I'm such an advocate for non-linearity in one's path and for having multi-hyphenates of interest and being a rounded person. It's like, I'm a generalist, not a specificist. And so it wouldn't surprise me if everything that I say fits into that framework because it's my own cognitive bias to self-actualize in that way. However, I think that there is no harm that you can do for a younger person to encourage them to try out different things, to see what fits, to see what energizes them, to test up against some of their own limiting beliefs or fears that it might prevent them because those are the skills that are going to matter later. Like you talked about having the discipline. And that's what I think is what you can really get from schools that you can learn that hard work and discipline and resilience and persistence are going to pay off no matter what you end up doing with your life. No matter if you're a full-time artist, athlete, entrepreneur, you work nine to five or your stay-at-home parent, like all of those things are going to benefit you. And so if you can give them those life skills and those softer skills, as some would say, to me, that's what the environments of education are really good for. It's, it's what I loved about college, that it was a place to learn to learn and knock your head against a few walls and try different things and meet new types of people. And that if you can start to ingrain that idea from an earlier age, that becomes natural and obvious. And then any specific skills that you can build on top of that are even better. But if you can get that solid foundation, I would much rather someone have that than be an ace at trigonometry who never wants to use it later in their life, but have the skill set to say in the discipline, even if I don't love this, even if I know I'll never do this again, 
I'm going to show up and do the work because that's what it's going to take for me. If I work for someone else, I work for myself, but every day I'm going to have to be professional. And that's how I would prefer to frame it. Yeah, I totally, so totally agree with that. And to, and to be clear, that's more or less what I was trying to say is that it doesn't mean that if that's not your strength, you have to only focus on that. And I'm a big proponent of letting kids just test and try and, and find what their strengths are. I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday, actually, who was talking about a friend of theirs that taught kids who didn't do well in school and it was like a different they get put into different groups or whatever and I hate that type of culture that tells kids that they're like less than because they don't excel in school so I'm, I'm kind of like right in the middle ground where you are is in terms of like if you're not working hard and you're not making the most of the situation that you're in I think that that's a problem because in the future there's always going to be things that you don't want to do that you have to do, that you need to do, that are good for your life. Like I didn't want to go to the gym last night at like eight o'clock when I finished working all day long. And all I want to do is sit at home and eat bad food and watch TV. But sometimes got to just go do the things that you don't want to do. And I think if you build those habits when you're when you're younger, it'll be a lot easier to do those things when you're older. So there's a lot of good practice in that, but it doesn't necessarily mean you got to have straight A's. Yeah, no, and I totally get you on that. And one of the things that you're talking about, it pays a little bit of homage to the idea that I don't agree with of the hell yes methodology, that if everything's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And I feel like it's just way too oversimplified. And if we get that in our minds at any age, then we're thinking, well, what happens in those moments where you know it's the best thing for you to go to the gym or to eat that piece of broccoli or to show up to work at 9 a.m. but you're tired? Yet you're thinking, well, it's not a hell yes, so maybe I shouldn't do it. When really, if the entire overarching macro view is a hell yes, then you say yes. Right. But if the day-to-day, there's going to be moments, there's going to be seasons where the stuff that you have to do to continue to keep the hell yes alive isn't going to feel like that. But you Mm -hmm. still have to be a grown-up and you still have to be a professional and you still have to work through that. Because if you don't, then you're just chasing one excitement after another after another. And that's usually not going to build any momentum. Yeah, so I couldn't agree with you more on a lot of these things. So let's move to next part of the story, next phase. So straight A's, high school, and then now college. You said you really enjoyed your time in college. What were you studying? And uh, did you get some scholarships or anything like that from the good grades that you had? Anything like that? No, I was, I never actually looked into scholarships. I think I had a lot of limiting beliefs back then that I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good enough. I ended up applying to a lot of great schools and I ended up going to Emory Uh, which is top 20 university, but I probably stood no chance of getting one there. So I went, fortunately got in (laughs) and it was a great experience, but I went in with the intention of studying dually business and photography, thinking, okay, let me take this childhood passion and I'm going to turn it into a fashion photography career. Ended up recognizing pretty quickly for many reasons that those weren't the paths of study I wanted to do as my majors and ended up studying religion and Italian. And most people would joke with me, oh, well, like, what were you planning to do with that? Are you trying to be the first female Jewish Pope? And (laughs) it didn't make any sense. But for me, again, this was a place to learn to learn and a place to spread my wings and see what really connected. And when I was a freshman in college, my dad had been in corporate America my whole life. He was an executive in financial services companies for many, many years. And I called a lot of his friends my summer after freshman year. And I said, I'm thinking about going into the business school. I think I'll just study marketing. I don't know what I want to do. What do you hire for? And what are you looking for? And a lot of them said to me over and over again in different ways, unless you're looking to do something that requires real specificity and a real unique knowledge set, like engineering or accounting or being a doctor, 
So unless I was going to be studying engineering or accounting or anything that was really specific and needed those tangible skills, then they said, we prefer someone who is well-rounded. So go study whatever you want. And then you can just pitch to the people that want to hire you one day about how you can translate that into what you're doing and how you can have a unique skill set and that you're someone who's able to think and have interesting decision-making patterns and otherwise. And so that really freed me from feeling like I had to be in this narrow lane and allowed me to study things that I just enjoyed. And religion and Italian were two things you really enjoyed. Turned out, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so talk to me now, after college, post-college, what do you do? So you talked about career counselors, and this was actually the first time at the end of my senior year that I went to a career counselor at Emory. And it's funny, I sat on Emory's board for about 13 years, and they probably will hate me for throwing them under the bus like this. <laughs> but I went to the career counselor and I said, I think I want to be in the fashion industry. It's the only thing that I have an interest in, and people tell me to follow my passions. So how do I do that? And they looked at me and said, no one's ever asked us that before. Pretty much everyone here wants to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a consultant. So we don't know what to tell you. And they're like, have you Googled it? (laughs) This is what your career counselor told you at a school like Emory. Yes. So sorry. Google it. (laughs) This is actually why I sat on their board fears because I wanted them to improve this experience for job readiness for people. And it was really disheartening because I thought, okay, wow, like here's this moment where you're saying to me, unless I want to go on one of these common trajectories, or as I call it, be one of the players in the game of life and fit into a really specific arena, you don't know what to do. And I have no idea what to do. I'm a 22 year old with no experience in the world aside from internships. So that was really challenging. And I, this is where I really started to learn about the power of networks because I had worked at a boutique in Atlanta, which was near to where I went to school during some of my summers. And I became really close with the owner and she reached out to me and she said, Hey, listen, this was just very fortuitous timing. And I'm a believer in paying attention to these synchronistic moments because coincidences are often more than they seem. And she said to me, Hey, you helped me on some of these buying trips. And one of the brands remembered you and they were asking if you had a job. And I said, actually, she's now graduating. So she ended up connecting me with this company, which ended up being my first job out of college, working for this fashion brand in LA, doing their sales in the Southeast. And it became this really great proving ground for me to learn about sales and business development and building relationships and a lot of self-starterness because they were across the country and I worked independently out of Atlanta. So I had this really interesting opportunity unfold before me. And before I share too much about it, I'll say, I really thought this was going to be the dream. I thought, you know, you take the thing that you're passionate about and you get to do it and happily ever after. Like I checked the boxes. I went to school. I got good grades. I got the dream job. Now I just need like the 2.5 kids and the husband apparently and the white picket yeah. and I have the American dream. But it wasn't like that at all. It actually was miserable where they said to me, this was like the positive side. They said to me, okay, we're going to give you a three-year sales goal and within three years, you need to hit a million dollars in sales. And I had no idea what that would take. It sounded tremendously daunting, but within 10 months I had hit it. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was building genuine relationships with my who then became clients and customers, Mm. and they trusted me. And I was able to build situations with that level of trust where they would believe in what I recommended to them and it would sell and it was really mutually beneficial. And around that 10 months, I realized I've hit a ceiling. There's nowhere more for me to grow here. I've maxed out this territory and there's nowhere to go in the company. And so at that point- It's a scary place to be for a 22, 23 year old. So at this point, I'm 23. I have a restraining order against my landlord at the time and I buy a house in duress. And then three months later, this company goes under because they sold their license to another fashion company and everyone lost their job. 
So I'm 23 years old with a mortgage and no idea of what to do next. Because even though I was unhappy, I had no idea. Like I wasn't looking. I just felt like, oh, this is just what you do. You climb the ladder, you cut your teeth. It's not always enjoyable. And that's what it is. Around what year was this? This was 2007. Okay. So the perfect time to buy a house. I would say exactly. (laughs) It was September 2007 when I bought the house, which was exactly at the height of the housing bubble, which as you said, in LA, yeah. To buy a house, yeah. but I didn't know. And also, I—it's interesting how you make decisions from scarcity mindsets versus abundance mindsets. That when you have a restraining order against someone who has keys to your house, and you're a 23-year-old female, you think, "Okay, I need to get myself in a better situation." I'm glad that I did, and I don't regret it. But that definitely caused its own domino effect of consequences. So there I was, 23. It was a week before Christmas. I have no job and a mortgage, and I'm set out to then figure out what I do next. So. What happened? What do you do next? The cliffhanger. So I spent the next two years basically just trying on a lot of different things. And I didn't know at the time that that's what I was doing because I thought, okay, I'm going to get another job and this one's going to stick. But for better or for worse, because of the economy at that time, I kept getting layoffs and hours cut back over and over. So I ended up having that happen about three or four times in the course of a three-year period, at which point I finally stopped and I said, okay, there's a pattern here. And What do I really want and how do I make that a reality? And I started reflecting back on my childhood self and thinking, you know, childhood Dara always wanted to own a business. And she hadn't at the time heard the term entrepreneur, but she had continuously heard this narrative that was fed to her. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person about you're an entitled millennial. You just need to wait your turn. You're very impatient. And it wasn't me specifically. It was just like me lumped into this millennial stereotype. And then there was also this narrative of working for other people is much more stable than it is to work for yourself, or the narrative of you have to go learn from other people before you know what to do on your own. But I hit this point where I thought, well, it's not working that way. And while everyone's telling me these are truths, they are not truths for me. So what might it look like to flip the story and think, what if I did something on my own? And what if I lived the dream of seven-year-old me? And could that be an option? And I thought, well, there's not a lot of situations that are going to be a worse outcome than what I have right now, where I go in, I pour my heart into something, I hit my quotas and then some, and then my job just doesn't exist. And I thought, well, I want to take the reins into my own hands. And so I was very fortunate that my twin brother reached out to me from San Diego and he said, I want to start a credit card processing company and I want you to partner with me on it because I think with my operation skills and your business development and relationship skills that we could be a great duo. And it took me a day to flip from the initial, that sounds tremendously boring and so unsexy to, oh, maybe if I reverse engineer what my passions and interests are, the opposite of what I started my career doing and thinking, what if the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities and the journey is way more fulfilling and aligned with what I'm good at and interested in doing? And then I can become passionate about the actual thing, the service, the product. So I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I trust my brother. I knew that we'd make great partnership. And so we set off. And this was over 10 years ago. We started this in February, 2009. And we had many ups and downs, but ultimately now we're in 38 states. It, we had trials like two embezzlements. We had a client at one point, it was 80% of our revenue who left and like so many lessons that we learned. But through that, I was able to parlay those lessons into the next three businesses that I started where now I run that business passively. And so looking back, like you asked about 
certain things in the past, I would never have changed any of it now that I get the retrospective lens because there's so much learning that got me to a place of confidence and knowledge to do the things that I was able to do beyond that. Whereas in those moments, I just kept feeling like, is it ever going to bear fruit? And so for anyone who feels stuck in those situations, just trust that if you know in your gut and your intuition that you're on the right path, even if it's not painting out exactly as you want it to in that moment, you've got to trust your intuition and your instinct. Even if people like in my case, my mom were telling me to quit all along the way. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. You mentioned the lessons and things that you learned along the way. We share a couple of commonalities there in that background from that story, meaning that we both got our start in sales and around the age of 23, realized that we wanted to do something different. And I find that the experience that I had in sales when I was, I did door-to-door sales and like management training and stuff for six, seven years. I find that experience has taken me into being able to maximize situations where most people are not able to. And I'm curious to know what you would recommend for a young person in terms of a first job to go get and what lessons you learned from starting off in sales that you were able to take into the multiple businesses that you've now started and seen success in? Well, there were so many, but I think given the context of this conversation being about networking, I want to talk about that specifically because that is undoubtedly the number one thing that helped me achieve success in every one of the businesses that I've had and in my life just as an individual. And for me, I always had this intuitive estimation, I'll say, that relationships were going to be the success thing. That So when my brother and I started our company, he said, well, how are you going to go out and get business? Are you going to go door to door? Are you going to cold call? And I thought maybe in the short term, that'll yield more benefit. But I thought in the long term, not only will I enjoy building relationships more, but I think that that's going to be more fruitful. So I did exactly that in every single one of these businesses. I went out and built relationships. I looked out for other people before I looked out for myself. I had a curiosity lens and mindset in the way that I approached conversations so that nothing ever came from a place of how do I get across what I need and want? But it was really about who are you? What makes you tick? What are you working on? What is something that maybe I have a resource or an ability and that could be helpful to you to get you there? And it was never from a manipulative place. It really was like if you've read Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, it really came from the true giver standpoint of I just had this natural proclivity to be a person who wanted to help other people. And I always trusted and now anecdotally know that there was this karmic retribution to it, that if I gave to you and you gave to someone and then someone would eventually give back to me, it didn't have to be reciprocal and I didn't have to keep a tally and that I didn't have to have a desperation mindset of, well, I need mine. You'll get yours later. It was the opposite. Let me help you get yours. And I, and I trust that mine will come to me at some point. And even in times where I had negative bank account balances, I had to continue to keep that mindset because I knew that I knew somewhere deep down that what you put out comes back to you and that I wanted to trust in that. 
And so I did a number of things that I could tangibly talk about if this would be helpful that were exercises and practices that really helped make that work. Would you like to yeah. hear that? Yeah, let's get let's get a little bit more into the weeds here. But yeah, no, I mean, you said something there that I want to touch on for sure because nothing in my experience, like nothing turns off clients more than the desperation mindset, which is uh, something that you just kind of glazed over. I want to spend a little bit more time on. That's got to be one of the biggest things that, that you can learn. If you're listening to this right now and you're like, hey man, how do I sell more? That's got to be one of the biggest things that you can do right there. What, what, what Derek? I just said, not having that desperation mindset, but having the abundance mindset to be able to think others first, you second, even though your business might be in a position where it needs revenue, even though you haven't made a sale in a couple of days, like still putting other people's needs above your own and not coming from a place of desperation has got to be one of the biggest tips on how to attract more clients into your business. Yeah. Thanks uh, for elevating that because it sounds counterintuitive to people. They think, oh, happy for you to say that you're 10 years in, you don't need mm-hmm. to, but I promise you from day one, when I had a loan that I owed to my mother, like I said, my bank account was negative. I was stressed about it all the time. I just knew it had to be that way. And even if you don't believe that, pay attention to the people who treat you that way, to the people who shove a business card in your face and talk over you and just give you their elevator pitch that they've said 60,000 times. And it feels so unauthentic. How do you feel on that? Like, does that make you want to help them? Does that make you want to be a customer? Does that make you want to get to know them? And the answer I would guess is unequivocally no. So in that case, think, well, is that the energy that I'm giving other people? Or am I burning bridges before I've even built them because I'm coming off that way? Yeah. And real quick too, like, who do you want to attract into your life? Because when if playing that game is just a numbers game, right, Dara? So people listening to this are probably in total agreement with you and are like, no, I wouldn't do business with somebody like that. But somebody would or else they wouldn't do it. And that numbers game, eventually you're going to find somebody who will do business with you if you talk to enough people and throw enough business cards and enough faces. But you really got to ask yourself, is the person that's willing to do business with somebody like like that, somebody that I want to attract into my circle long-term? And the answer to me is a resounding no, because that person's probably very similar. And both of those people are probably takers instead of givers. And if you start building up your circle with a bunch of takers in a decade from now, when you're on to the next venture, who are you going to call on? All you have is a bunch of takers in your circle. Like it's not, people are thinking so short-term about this because I talked to some people and I put out some ads recently about business cards and how I don't like them. And people always respond on there like, oh, well, I did this and that. And I have these results from this. And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm sure you do, man. I'm not saying that it's completely dead and that they will never work. What I am saying is that you're always going to go, you're always going to have to go back out tomorrow. You're always going to have to show up to the next one because you're always going to have to hand out another business card because the people that you're bringing into your network are the people who are just takers and scarcity mindset people themselves. And you're all like those types of people aren't people that are going to fill your life with abundance. They're going to fill your life with scarcity. Well, like you're saying, it becomes almost like the human version of passive income that you're never going to be able to build this passive stream of referrals or of clients. If Partnerships, that's yeah. Exactly. Because otherwise, when you're looking at it from the long-term lens and you have this giving mindset and you're acting in those ways, and then you're nurturing those relationships, people are always thinking about how they can look out for you too. There is a natural reciprocity reflex that people have, and it's never why you do it in the first place, but it's just a natural part of being a human that someone does for you and you want to know how you can help them too. And so at some point or another, it's going to come back to you from that person. And then you're going to be able to be the person who's in the driver's seat, but on autopilot, who's thinking, wow, I don't know how many how all these leads and referrals are coming in, but it's because you planted the seeds earlier and they're bearing fruit later. And that's the tricky thing is that you can do a lot of these actions. And if you're looking for the instant win and the lightning to strike, exactly like you said, hand out a hundred business cards and one's going to bite, make a hundred cold calls and one's going to say yes. Or you could actually go out and enjoy yourself and have three meaningful conversations 
have coffee with one or two of them, pan that into three referrals, which pan into two new referral partnerships, which turn into 20 new business opportunities. And that was actually a pleasant and effortless experience as opposed to putting yourself out there in this way, like you said, where it's just churn and burn over and over. So one of the things that I did and that I encourage other people to try is what I call the give it forward challenge. And this was something that I would secretly do by myself many, many times over when I would get in a place of feeling stuck in my own nonsense or questioning that I had any value to give to people or just feeling stressed in general, where I would commit to myself for a 30 day period and you can do this for as long or short as you choose to proactively go out once a day to someone, ideally someone that I knew, but not necessarily, and ask them how I could be of service to them in some way, big or small with no strings attached. And I generally would just say something like, hey, Travis, haven't talked to you in a minute. I'm committing to do this give it forward challenge and help one person a day in some way, big or small with absolutely no strings attached. And you're that person that I'd love to help today. I'm curious, is there anything that you're working on that you're struggling with or an introduction I could make? or a challenge that I might be able to help alleviate or a goal that you're working on or just what's something that might be helpful to you. And I got responses everywhere from, I want to play on the top 50 golf courses in the US. Can you get me on Augusta National where the Masters is played? To, I just need someone to listen or my babysitter just canceled for the night. Can you help me find one? And literally everything in between. Like I help people get jobs. I help matchmake people, like you name it. And what I found from this was multiple fold. One is that I would tell people I'm not a magical fairy. I can't guarantee and promise to you that I'm going to solve this wish or need, but I can promise you that I'm going to try. I also realized how five to 10 minutes of effort a day could be so fruitful and rewarding that these would then deepen the relationships that I would often get a chance to go back to another person to help fulfill on the need and make a mutual three-way introduction, which gave me an opportunity to reconnect and nurture both relationships. I also then was able to recognize how much resource and goodness I had to offer to other people that I was taking for granted. And lastly, how much fun it was that I would feel so joyful every day I did this exercise because the second you get out of your own BS and focus on other people, it brings you joy. It's that whole like selfishness of selflessness mm-hmm. idea that we think about when we think about giving or being philanthropic or volunteering. This is no different. And it doesn't matter where you are. We have technology. This is so simple. And I really think this helps shift people to understand how this really works. And then it's really important that when someone naturally has the reflex of that was so generous of you, how do I help you in return? That you simply say, I promise you this was no strings attached. I want nothing from you. But if you want to do anything, you can give it forward to someone else and allow it to be paid forward. And I challenge everyone who's listening to give this a try, even if just for a week and see how much it impacts all of those things. And ultimately you'll see a difference in your business too, because people will remember and they're going to know that you're that person who cared about them and went out of their way to do something nice for them. Give it forward. I absolutely love that. What are some other things that we can do to try to add value to people? Well, so one of the things that I do in my calendar, that's been really a game changer but so simple. I use Google Calendar. And if you have a CRM, you could put it in there. You could put it into any type of digital calendar is I make what I call reconnect files. So if Travis and I sat down for coffee and I was like, oh gosh, Travis is awesome. And I really see us collaborating over time, or I want to stay in close touch with him. I put him on a 30 day rotation. I put you on a 30 day rotation in my calendar where it just like a CRM, I put your name, your company, I put a few little notes and it would rotate on a monthly basis. And when you pop up, I think, I wonder what Travis is up to. Maybe I'll just reach out and ask, or maybe I saw an article recently that's relevant for him or a book that I just read that I'll just mail to him as a surprise. Or, oh, I just met this 
person that he should know. And I won't do it every single month. I'll see what actually feels organic and natural, but then I'll reach out and I'll do one of those things, or I'll go to Harrow, help a reporter out, and I'll I get those pop-ups in my email. And I'll think, oh, this is perfect for Travis. He should respond to this press inquiry where he might be able to get mentioned in the press. And I looked out for him and he'll appreciate that. It's these simple 20, 30 second things, even just a quick text saying, hey, I was thinking about you, hope you're doing great. Doesn't even require a response, but it gives me that opportunity. And then for people that I meet that maybe I want to stay in touch with, but not necessarily as proactively, I'll put what I just call reconnect at the top of the file and have it rotate on a monthly basis. And I color code these so they stand out on my calendar differently. And I'll put 10 or 15 people in it who pop up once a month. I'll take a quick scroll through and see who haven't I connected with? There's also softwares that do some of this now. Personally, I don't use any of them because I don't love all of the heavy lift that it takes in the beginning to categorize and decide how often you want it to remind you to reach out to everyone. But if you don't want to do it the way that I'm doing it, there's softwares that can dump all your stuff and you can organize them in there. And it'll tell you who you haven't talked to in a while based on your prioritization. Got it. So I love having these conversations because I talk to too many people, Dara, that that leave their network up to chance. Like everybody agrees that it's so important. Everybody's all, like, you talk to anybody, oh, your network is your net worth. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Oh, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay, so what are you doing on purpose to go about building your network? Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, and it's just like, what if it's so important, if we all know the importance of it, if literally our environment creates the type of person that we become, how come we don't spend more time working on this stuff? So I, I love having the conversation with people like you who take this stuff very seriously and do this on purpose. Like it's done on purpose in a way that feels super organic and actually cares about other people. It's others facing, which is really the whole key here. So let's get back a little bit into the story here and talk to me about how um, your networking specific business, how the credit card processing company and all that stuff ended up turning into this now network under 40 that you've built nationwide. So when I was two years into building the credit card processing company, I had a friend move back to Atlanta after going to law school. And she said to me, I don't know where to go to make friends after college. Everywhere I go, I feel like I'm getting hit on, sold to. Everyone's my parents' age or all in my industry. And I laughed and I thought, yeah, that's so true. I was so immersed in the networking scene in Atlanta to build my business. And I was like, I can't think of a single place to send you that isn't at least one of those things. And so I thought my favorite thing in the world is to connect people, why I was put on this planet, why don't I just start that for you? And so thus was born by accident because I never intended for it to be a business. I thought it would just be one event, Network Under 40, where we started putting on monthly events where young people would connect as peers and it would be about friendship first and business second because it was about relationships and not transactions and about really liking someone so that you could trust them, so that you could do business with them. I love that you're giving me the prayer hands. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to create you're speaking that speaking my language right now, Derek. You're speaking I wanted my language. To that environment where people felt like they could be themselves. They didn't have to put on airs or that it was stuffy or that you had to have your canned speech ready. That the last thing I actually cared about was what you did because I wanted to know who you were first mm. and we get to what you did second. And so I started this for my friend. We had 94 people show up at the first event. The energy was electric and people said to me, hey, can you do this again? And I thought, sure, this is really fun. And that was eight and a half years ago. And now we run it for over 30,000 people in three different cities. And we're the largest young professional networking organization in each of them. And it's been this really rewarding thing that, you know, when I talk about what are the tactical and tangible networking tips, this was hands down the number one thing that I did to grow myself to grow my primary business, to make an impact on other people, 
to grow my own influence and be sought after and not have to go outward to collect people to want to learn about what I did. But they came and sought me out at that point and turned the tables. And then lastly, started making a six-figure side income doing this in 10 hours a week or less. And so suddenly I realized by doing the simple thing of having a monthly networking event or whatever cadence someone wants to, you can achieve so many things in one place and elevate whatever your primary business is as well. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so much here to unpack and, and yeah, or, or to unpack, excuse me. And I was giving you the prayer hands, especially when you said, I think you said relationships over, or the focus was relationships and not like pitches or something. Yeah. Transactions, yeah, there you go. That's what, what I always say is like, I want connection, not contact info. And um, it's amazing to me how rare it is to find how many people are still living in the 1980s version of what networking quote unquote should be. And yeah. I, I try to I try some of these meetups around here and I go to them and it literally feels like I'm back where I first started when I was like 19 and I rolled into one of these networking meetings and I was the guy pitching everybody because that's what I thought I was supposed to do, right? Yeah. And so like, that's all I knew. So that's what I did and it didn't work. And I was like, hey, how come this doesn't work? And then I go to these ones now as, I mean, now I'm, I'm 27 now and I go into some of these things and there's, there's like 40 and 50 year olds in there like, hey, here's my card. Hey, here's my card. Hey, here's my card. And it's just like, oh my gosh, are you guys still doing this? Like this, are you? It's mind blowing to me. So I love that you actually built something that allows people to have that space. And so I want to spend the last couple of minutes here talking about platform because you said something in that last explanation of the benefits of this meetup of the group that you've started that's turned into a, a national business. And that was that you actually started attracting your ideal clients into your meetup group, but also your primary business. And that has been the number one benefit by far for the podcast as well. And if you do a good enough job listening right now, if you want to take your networking to the next level, if you want to absolutely explode your network in 2020, I highly encourage you to look at different platforms to try out. If it's a podcast, it's a podcast, YouTube channel, YouTube channel, meetup group, meetup group, whatever you do, like build a platform and watch the magic happen. Just make sure you stay consistent during the build. So Dara, I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about how this specifically has helped your primary business. And then also talk to us a little bit about the, the training that you have, the networking events blueprint training that you have put together. Yeah, thank you. So when I started Network Under 40, like I said, it wasn't intentional to be any of these things. It was just to help my friends, which again is the power of giving. And when it started and I started realizing at the time I was bringing on about three to five clients a month on average to my credit card processing company, that over time I started bringing on pretty effortlessly 20 a month on average because of this influence that I was gaining where people would come to these events and be like, oh, you're the organizer. I get your emails. I saw your videos. Is this what you do full time? And I would say, no. And they'd say, well, what do you do? And I would tell them and they would say, oh, well, I'm an accountant and all of my customers need that. Or I'm in payroll. We should create a referral partnership. Or I own a salon. Can you help me? I don't understand this. And it just became this natural conversation starter because they already had this sense of trust and gratitude that I created this environment that was bringing them value outside of our one-on-one -on -one interaction with the other participants. And so it got to a point where I was like, wow, this is really allowing me, one, to like live while I was making a living and building my first business because it started kicking off six figures. Also, I was getting all this business to my prime business. So then that's growing. And then I started getting out of nowhere, about two and a half years in, we got a hit from Inc. Magazine. That was, the article was called something like, why networking events suck. That was almost a direct quote. And I see this pop up in my Google alerts and it's like, 
you've been quoted in Inc. Magazine about why networking events suck. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And I look at it and I realize that they're panning networking events for all the reasons that you described. And they say, but here's one place that's doing it well. Mm. And they point it to our loan event in Atlanta. And I thought, wow, like there's really something here. And we started getting global inquiries from people saying, how do I do this where I am? I'd love to bring people together. We don't have anything like this. So then I thought, you know, why don't I take the blueprint? And I grew it into a couple of cities, tested it. We've had much success for three, four, and five years in these different markets. And then I thought, why don't I actually systemize this and break it out for people who want to do it for themselves, for their own location, for their own audience, their own brand, or to partner with us and created the networking events blueprint that takes everything I've learned in the eight plus years of doing this for over 30,000 people in multiple markets and help people to achieve the same outcomes with their own spin on it. So for anyone who's like, yeah, I want to be sought after. Yeah, I want to make a sizable side income while I'm only working part-time. I want to grow my pipeline into my primary business, and I want to make an impact in my community. This is the thing that you've been missing and should be doing. Yeah, perfect. So Dara's put together an entire training on how to do this the exact right way. The step-by-step blueprint that she has used to duplicate this process, not just in Atlanta, but in different cities across the country. You can find that at networkingeventsblueprint.com. Networkingeventsblueprint.com. Be sure to go check that out. Dara, I've had a fantastic time talking with you. I know we're coming up close on time. I got to ask this question because this is the one that I've asked every single guest that's come onto the show. And I think I know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay, so here we go. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Do I have to choose? Like to me, it's actually both. I think that who you know matters to open the door, that doors open because of people and people often see opportunities as these nameless, faceless things, but really people are the keys to the success that you're seeking. And so doors open because of that. But once you walk through the door, what you know matters. So step one is people, step two is knowledge. Okay, so I agree. But if you had to pick one. <laughs> I mean, if I had to pick one, I would pick the first because it's much harder to access an opportunity unless you have the relationships. Certainly yeah. they can find you and lightning does strike and serendipity occurs. And I believe in all those things, but people really are the key. And if you don't understand that, if you're not treating relationships properly, if you're not intentional, like we talked about earlier, setting yourself up for success in that way, 90 something percent of the time, you're probably going to miss out on the opportunity. So what you know didn't matter anyway. Right. I always go back to who you know, because I feel like my what always increases exponentially if I focus on my who. If I get around the right people, my knowledge just goes through the roof because those people have all the knowledge that I want. So if you are on purpose about this stuff and you get in front of the right people, your knowledge is going to increase with the people that you're around. Now it's just up to you to implement and actually take action on the things that you're learning from the people you're rubbing shoulders with. Okay, so we talked about a bunch of different stuff. We'll run out of time. Let's move into the last segment here, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I'd still like to attempt fashion photography, even though I never did it. Really? Mm -hmm. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Oprah, hands down. Always admired her and adored her. That would be the best hour I've ever spent. (laughs) How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Print books. Print books. What is a book that you have read recently that you would recommend to everybody? 
Ooh, I read so many books, so I'll name a few really fast. <laughs> I just read Ryan Holiday's new book, Stillness is the Key, for anyone who struggles with connecting with themselves, feels overwhelmed or burdened or like they're, something's not connecting. That's a good, really easy way to approach it. Just read Deepak Chopra's newest book called Metahuman. This one is like super scientific and super heavy, but really fascinating. He like all the wheels came off. Deepak and I do a video series together. And so I know him in all the incarnations. And this is him being like, I'm throwing all hell, like it all has broken loose and he's just putting it all out there. So for anyone who's like, okay, I want to know what limitlessness as a human is like, that one's really interesting. And then I also just read On Being Human by Jennifer Pasteloff, which was a really, really well-written narrative. She's an exceptional writer and it's a really great story of her life and challenges someone who was legally deaf but didn't know for a long time and overcame a lot of hurdles and burdens in her own life and in her own mental frameworks. So really powerful story about overcoming. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So I break a lot of traditional rules. I wake up, I take a couple breaths, just like get present. Then I get right on my phone and I do my planned Instagram post for the day. I like to be a person of inspiration and intention and activation there. And so I plan it, I post it in the morning and then I read the news and then I do my daily gratitude journaling, my meditation, and then a seven minute workout. What is your go-to pump up song? I have absolutely no idea. I really not that big of a music person, which is kind of crazy. But if I had to pick one, I would probably pick something that's kind of counterintuitive, like Counting Crows, because I like love the nostalgia of their first album. What is something besides business, like setting business aside, what is something that you are just not very good at? Ooh, lots of things. I am not very good at, well, I was going to say taking a compliment, but I've gotten better at that. I am not very good at cooking. Very yeah. fortunate my fiance is exceptional at that. So this is part of, of course, the things that are deficiencies. <laughs> I, hear, I hear you on that. I hear you on that one. As we get everything wrapped up here, Dara, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? On my website. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And then uh, in terms of social media, it sounds like you spend the majority of time on Instagram. Yes, I am on Instagram every single day trying to add value. So I'm at Dara B, D-A-R-R-A-H-B. Cool. Go check out Dara's website. Uh, if you want to learn just about her in general, if you want to connect with her, go check out her Instagram. That's at Dara B D A R R A H B. And then I highly recommend checking out her course, guys. If, if this is something that you are interested in in the least, if you're trying to attract your ideal customer in your business, and uh, you guys know how often I try to convince you to start a podcast. So if you haven't started one yet and you're not convinced about podcasting, then maybe you should look at meetup groups and you should check out networkingeventsblueprint.com to learn from the best in the business. Dara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to 
buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.